Welcome to each of you, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Brian Frazier, and this is Journey to the Stage. This is episode 25, the last episode of season one, and I want to thank you all for tuning in and for telling your friends and helping this podcast continue to grow. Season two will be launching in October, and I've already got some great guests lined up, including a multi-Grammy-winning, Tony-nominated songwriter and producer, so stay tuned for that. I started this podcast because I love music, and when I find music that can stir me to my core and cause a visceral response within me, I know that I found something special, something magical, such as the music created by my guest today, ensconced in the artist's seat today is composer Trevor Kowalski. Not only is Trevor a composer, he's a gifted pianist, arranger, and a songwriter, and he's worked with award-winning filmmakers game developers, vocalists, soloists, animators, orchestras, and theater directors. His music has been streamed over 100 million times and has been used in videos and films seen over 1 billion times. And that doesn't happen unless you're making something special. So Trevor, thank you for joining me today on Journey to the Stage. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate all of that. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad that we could make this happen. How are you doing these days? Good. I'm good. Just writing and uh, working on some music, as always. Well, it's a genuine honor for me to have you on because I've I've been so impacted by your work. We're going to be playing a couple pieces from recent projects shortly, but I, I want to start a little closer to the beginning of your journey because it likely has impacted you know the music you're making today. So, if we were to go back, maybe to your childhood home, tell me about the the music and artists, songs, styles that you were hearing way back then. Uh, yeah, no, my family was was pretty active in in just uh, classical music kind of events or just anything. Um, I grew up outside of Saratoga Springs, New York, uh, in a town called Wilton. So it, it's kind of a little bit of an island in upstate New York near the Adirondack Mountains, where there's a fair bit of classical arts and the Philadelphia Orchestra plays there during the summer. So I was exposed to a lot of this um, just in the community, fairly good music you know, program, music scene in a lot of the schools in the area, which is really lucky. And then within my actual family, my, my dad especially likes a lot of the Eastern European composers, big fan of a lot of the Russian composers, as well as Dvorak and, and others. So I'd be hearing a lot of kind of music from, from that part of the world growing up, and I really fell in love with it. And Chopin, of course, too, just a lot of great, very romantic kind of uh, composers, uh, just big sounds, very intense ones, and then all the way to contrast with some of the more intimate kind of piano pieces that I really fell in love with and just kind of set me on a, a good path early on in that classical world. That's incredible. I I, too, I find myself more drawn to the romantics too. And uh, I just, because I love, I guess, the sweepingness of it. I know that's probably not the right way to say I, that. That's but. a good way to put it. Yeah. I read in your bio that you started piano at age six. Mm -hmm. at, at that age, was it more driven 
by your parents or was it something that you kind of naturally were drawn to at that point? Um, well, my parents, so I, I have a brother and a sister and my, my parents put all of us in piano lessons. And I think I was the one that just had the, the best experience with the, their teachers and, um, <laughs> you know, and, and there's kind of like this belief of like, oh, why don't you keep us in piano for my other siblings to my parents? But at, at the end of the day, I just think I had uh, good teachers. I had a little different teachers than them. And then I also just really loved it. I really took to it. And um, it was one of those things where I just kind of had fun playing around on the piano and just made the most of it. And, you know, also it wasn't like I was raised in this like classical bubble. There's tons of other music from my dad's childhood, from my mom's. Um, just a very musical kind of thing just on the records and and all of the kind of like prog records my dad had from 60s and 70s just like a lot nice. of different stuff that kind of all meshed together like the orchestral nature of like the moody blues even was something i grew up listening to a lot and just seeing how that melodic sense kind of meshed with a more kind of like pop structure at least for the time um was really helpful and of course you know this just goes through a bunch of different genres. My family has a very wide net of musical interests, but yeah, I would say that that also shouldn't be overlooked. So just generally in music, I wanted to play piano, not just for classical, but for other, you know, things for pop, for rock, for jazz. It was all of interest. Yeah, I could definitely, there are times I could clearly, very clearly hear the jazz influence in your chord selections and just sometimes the, the chord progressions that you go through. And I'm not surprised that you have that many styles of music in your palette. And I think that that's what helps to make a good musician, a good composer, is you have more to draw from. As you were kind of developing your own musical taste, you know, maybe as you entered your teenage years, your uh, child of the 90s, right? Or early? Ish. Yeah, ish. I'm kind of on the border. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of uh, bands, artists were you kind of getting yourself into? Um, I I don't know. I feel like I was always a little bit trying to find something that was a little bit more original. I was kind of obnoxious about it at times as, you know, like a teenager. <laughs> but, you know, because a lot of it came from, as it does, just like older siblings. So my sister would mm -hmm. just like find a cool CD at the library and we just like rent that and then burn burn that onto the computer, whether it was just like some indie band from 2000s or like even stuff I got really into parliament as one of my first favorite bands like funk nice. was a big thing for me yeah. just kind of stuff that sounded a little bit different from the last thing i heard and i usually kind of adapt like really gravitated more towards something that was colorful over mm -hmm. something that was super stripped down and, and serious as a kid but i remember like you know i got someone of my, my friends as a kid would just made a comment about like oh you don't have you don't have this Eminem song on your like mp3 player and that was a big source <laughs> of i was just like i was just like really keeping that you know inside all upset about that yeah. that i didn't have that and then i went to try and download all of like the, the top hundred songs and force it mm. on, on my ears and just i respect some of it but you know it was just not a, a natural fit at the time i was not gonna be having every green day song um so i just kind of like drew a lot from the past i loved billy joel when yeah. i was growing up and just a wide yeah. again just a wide net do you remember the first piece that you composed and about how old were you you know maybe the first time you started plucking out your own melodies and stuff like that on, on yeah. the piano so this is actually um one of the few things that is 100 percent documented which is the piece that is now known as serenity which is from an album i did when i was like 16 piano themes 15 wow. no but i wrote it when i was uh, six years old in uh, a little bit of it 
So that's the first, at least, melody I wrote, the first opening melody of Serenity, uh, the piano notes that was written when I was six. The part that came wow. a little bit after is like, I guess, the more traditional, like almost bridge or chorus of that piece. That's kind of how I thought about it when I was a little bit older. But uh, that part probably came from when I was like maybe eight or nine, I'd say. So a little bit later, and then I just put it all together. Um, But that existed at that time. And we have little demo recordings from when I was, you know, six, seven. That's really cool that you have that documented. I'll have to go back. Is that piece available? Because I don't think I'm familiar with it. It it is. It is. It's on my album, uh, Piano Themes, that I crowdfunded. Oh, okay. I came across that album when I was doing my research. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard this one before. So that's one I will need to go back and... And check out that's really cool to to get a, a, a piece of that history captured so young that's that's really awesome mm-hmm. before we go any further i, I do want to pause and play uh, one of your compositions this is a piece called rest upon the edge and i distinctly remember this was uh, one night several months ago i was up late i was doing some work at my computer and i had youtube on playing some music for me and this piece came on and I remember that moment so clearly rest upon the edge started playing. And I remember saying out loud, like, who is this? And I looked up and saw your name and the name of the piece. And so I went back to the first email that I sent you. It's, it's been a bit, but I wrote, Hey Trevor, I just discovered your music and I've been so impacted by what I've heard these last three days I've played Rest Upon the Edge more times than I care to admit, and I would say that it's still true of myself. This piece is so cinematic and sweeping that it's made me tear up because it's so beautiful. Um, I want people to hear it, and we'll get some insight into what we've listened to. This is Rest Upon the Edge by Trevor Kowalski from his album Saltwater Glide.
So I can say in all honesty, Trevor, and this is not hyperbole, nor just because you're my guest, this is one of the most stirring pieces of music that I've ever heard. Uh, what, what can you tell us about this piece? Uh, thank you. This piece was kind of the culmination of an overall concept album about music coming from the ocean or the cliffside, something along the coast. Uh, and every piece on this album plays a part in that concept. Um, and this is the ending one where you're kind of reflecting on everything that's come before it, which is also the idea of the piece uh, itself, which is just to build something that has two uh, builds, one, the second bigger than the, the first, that just carry you and carry you in thought and just kind of this grandiosity of a moment, you know, either next to the ocean or something that has not specifically tied to the ocean, but the concept overall. But this piece works, in my opinion, as something uh, as a just as, as a meditation point at, in, in certain parts of your life that you think about events that happens or something that's impacted you. And I just wanted to reflect that through just a washing wave of these these rises that just kind of keep coming up and then the big one hits you and then just like a wave, it just falls out at the end and just kind of almost lulls you into the the end of ending parts of the album. It's incredibly cinematic. And I, I remember listening to it and thinking of a hundred films that I could hear that, that piece of music inserted into and some of the most beautiful moments. Actually, the film The Legends of the Fall came to mind. I don't know if you know that film. It's a beautiful score by James Horner, one of my favorites by him. And there's a, a compilation of, of just really beautiful landscape and fun action going on by the players. And just it's so sweeping in its scope. The cinematography is stellar. I've almost wanted to go back and do my own edit of that scene and put, <laughs> put this piece in there because it's so beautiful. And I know music has, of course, has a real structure to it. And I was I just read a quote that said, at some level, all music is math. And while it's true, I mean, you would know this as a composer, there's there's a structure to music. There's mathematics there. But, but there's something that goes, obviously, far beyond that. Because when I listen to a piece like this, to me, it feels like all the best moments of my childhood. Wow. So I'm going to ask you, maybe this is a question that's unanswerable, but what is it in music that's almost magical that can stir such a, a deep and visceral response beyond the structure and the mathematics of it? How does a piece like this get to the core of somebody? I mean, I'll, I'll attempt to kind of answer it in the way of when I hear a piece of music that that's making you feel a similar way. Cause I have these moments when I hear a piece that I can't stop thinking about, or just that does remind me of something so nostalgic and brings me back to something. A lot of the time in a more practical kind of sense, like a more grounded answer would be a lot of these pieces give you time to, to breathe and think. And there's a lot of stopping points or a lot of uh, little sections where you can kind of uh, prepare yourself for what's going to come next. You can hear a build coming, you can hear something building. And in those little moments, just at an emotional level, if I really get into one of these pieces, when right before these, you know something's going to happen, you don't know exactly where it's going to go or what's going to happen next, but you can feel it. And those moments of breath give just, in my opinion, uh, myself a little bit of space 
to kind of feel everything that's come before in the piece and come after. That's a little bit more of a kind of a technical answer, but on a more emotional level, I don't think uh, anyone will really ever know. I think you could say there are certain harmonic intervals that hit people certain ways, but I never really found that to be a good answer because everyone everyone would always say a major chord is happy and a minor chord Mm. is sad. But I've written and I've heard plenty of music where minor chords are like some of the happiest music, some of the happiest songs and major chords are can be the saddest thing possible. So just distilling it down to a science on that micro level, I don't Mm. think is is possible. I think it's just about the subtlety of the melody, the subtlety of how you think about things, the amount of breath you Mm -hmm. can give the music and uh, the context and the instrumentation. And just at the end of the day, coming from a a place emotionally that you as the artist can really, really relate to. And you can really stand behind because if you don't stand behind what you're writing, then I don't think it's going to deliver emotionally. Yeah. When you hear a piece like that, or maybe there's another piece, do you have a similar response emotionally to some of your own music or, or is that easier to find maybe another composer? It's easier to find in other, in other composers. Uh, Yeah. It's hard because you can get so attached and so uh, entrenched in the work of something that Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you, you love it, but it's just a different kind of, of love than it would be if you heard someone else's stuff. I mean, the stuff I get most nostalgic for in my own music is maybe something I've written when I was going back. I started uploading to Spotify relatively young before the platform was super accepted, uh, I would say. Mm-hmm. So listening to some of the stuff that I wrote when I was 16, 17 on there, when it was kind of just starting out and like it wasn't really a super popular thing, like some of that stuff, I'm like, wow, that, that maybe was better than I remembered. And I get you know, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit nostalgic for maybe that kind of stuff or like, oh, that was an interesting time in my life and the context mm-hmm. around it more so than yeah. the actual song itself, though. It's just a lot of emotion tied up in that time and what I was doing. Yeah. Now, you obviously got started at such an early age composing and uploading and doing these types of things and, and doing some really interesting projects. I would imagine early on, and maybe you still do, did you get a lot of for his age type stuff or that were where your age was more of the focus maybe than what you were making did you find that to be true i might have gotten the the opposite where it's like i was playing and i was playing live piano in places i probably shouldn't have been for my age (laughs) (laughs) i was like playing at a bar when i was like a you know like a 13 year old and i'm like what and then looking back on that i'm just why were they letting me do that yeah. And, and, and whatnot. So it depends because when you're in a smaller town area, I think you can get away with more, mm-hmm. but also, yeah, I think there was a side of, of, I think when, when you have a base level of practice at a certain age, you'll get kind of a generic, like, oh, you're very talented just from a stranger or something. And that's, that's always very nice. But from like people that really knew me or friends or teachers, mm-hmm. I didn't get a lot of like kind of just empty encouragement. To my ear, your music definitely, in general, of course, you have such a, um, there's a, a very, very wide soundscape and, and feel to so much of, of your work. Uh, but there, to me, is, is a discernible optimism, maybe. I know sometimes that, I don't know if that's the right word, but to me, the majority of your music feels more like the sunrise than a sunset, I guess. 
-hmm. Is that something you're consciously working towards? Or is this kind of naturally what progresses from, from what's inside of you, so to speak? I agree with that. I think not everything, but yeah, I'd say the majority. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you get into specific soundtracks, I don't think that applies entirely because that's more specific for a project. Like the one I'm working on, I'm working on something right now that's a little bit in that kind of gray area between sunrise and sunset. But I think that just comes a little bit from my outlook. And I think there's kind of a tendency in the music world, specifically in music, to view, and like with painters, uh, to view optimism as either cheap or kind of something that's not as serious. But I always yeah. found that when I spoke to friends who were most troubled or when I've lost people close to me, I've always found that the, the most serious and most helpful emotion that I've had or they've had in their struggles has always been the belief that maybe something can improve and get better and, and mm -hmm. uh, looking forward to, you know, better days. So I've always found that's very kind of uh, maybe been ingrained in me just in terms of mm -hmm. dealing with with things or with my friends and, and, and others. It's yeah. just a matter of finding that perspective and that definitely I agree comes through in a lot of the music and I try sometimes and other times it just it's just what I like that's I love that your, your music to me is also um, very nostalgic I don't know how you do that that goes back to our earlier question I don't know how you evoke such things but would you say that some of that nostalgia maybe does that come from maybe some of your own childhood memories or you drawing from scenes and times and settings that are kind of idyllic like how do you uh, yeah. how do you arrive at such a sound I, I, I don't really know a better way to ask that question but there is that sense of nostalgia that's a common thing said about much of your music how, how does how does one write that way I guess I don't know how a better way to ask sure. that. sure well I think it also comes down to like a sort of folksiness I kind of credit to a smaller town and just like having a tight knit family on the mm, one hand. Okay. On the other yeah. hand, I kind of, I don't totally agree with, I've, I've, this has come up cause I've had plenty of composition professors over the years or teachers and people trying to help or give mentors. And, and mm -hmm. I, I kind of rejected the idea of like, it's idyllic because mm -hmm. idyllic can kind of imply this. Everything is good. And everything is in, in terms of like the feeling of the music, everything is just like picturesque setting. But I think sometimes right. nostalgia has a lot of pain to it, has a lot of sadness to it. I mean, it's something you can never get back to. And when you take that and then you reflect on things that have changed or, again, people that, that you've lost that are close to you, it's just something that I've always liked. How you actually translate that into music, I would say it just comes down to, yeah, just an inherent kind of gentleness and how you deal with those kind of emotions. A lot of the time for a lot of artists, other times it can just be the chords I use, maybe some sort of dreaminess. I've heard that from yeah. a lot of people where it was just like a, a certain dreaminess that kind of sets the atmosphere. And then if a melody comes yeah. in people like, then that just like adds another layer onto some sort of nostalgia. I love that too. And, and obviously there's only so much you can explain. And sometimes we just have to embrace the mystery of it and accept it for what it is and celebrate it and enjoy it. And feast on it, so to speak. So I think there's there's that aspect of it too. Um, I was reading in your bio and learned that we have a, a common appreciation for uh, John Barry. He's, he's one of my favorite uh, film composers, obviously did all the early James Bond movies. and um, But hit the score that I think really grabbed me 
from him was Dances with Wolves. I thought you were going to say that. A, I was going to guess. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Probably yeah. based on what you can see of my my musical taste. Do you ever hear any of his influence or maybe some of those other composers hear their influence in, in what you're composing? Uh, John Barry is one of my biggest heroes, probably the biggest reason I ever wanted to get into writing anything for media at all absolutely i just grew up watching like all the bond reruns on mm -hmm. at the time spike tv <laughs> and they would play like 24-hour <laughs> marathons of bond every major holiday and hearing a lot of that music i just thought uh especially the really sweeping stuff if they're going into vienna yeah. you hear this beautiful like horn string section coming in not the stuff that's like the action and chase music which is great at times there's a lot of bad stuff right musically in the early bonds too that i could get into but i'm a huge fan of john barry dances with wolves is great i play french horn as well and a lot oh, really? almost 90 percent of that is because of john barry and his scores that just used french horn so well i don't know if anything comes through as much as i think except for just like the melodic sensibility i'd always looked up mm -hmm. to him for his melodies and yeah. if i can take you know an ounce of that in put my spin on it maybe that's happened at times and um yeah maybe there's been a time where i've kind of noticed it but i don't know i don't know how much of it comes through yeah that's always a difficult thing to quantify especially when it, when it's you well it's neat i love the french horn it's got such a uh, a beautiful voice i think i stumbled across a picture of you playing guitar too do you do you play guitar as well uh, no, not very well at all. You did probably see a picture of me playing guitar. I play a few kind of more sound designy, atmospheric elements. I know a few chords and I can do scales, but um, I'm not going to be doing anything on a live show, for example. I would just yeah. be uh, doing that in the studio. So I was really young. I'm older than you. I was really young when um, when Star Wars came out. So I grew up with just so many great John Williams scores. Um, he was really the first film music composer that captured my attention and really sparked a love for the music of film. For you as a composer, when you go to see a movie or you're sitting at home watching a movie or even something on Netflix or whatever, do you ever get distracted in a good sense by the score? Like, wow, this is, this is really powerful, almost to the point where you're not so much focused on the movie. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't have any specific examples that I can pull out right now, just in the kind of, uh, a lot of TV shows, if I'm watching, I'll, I'll just throw out a comment sometimes if I get really into it. If there is mm -hmm. a surprise, like I'm more impressed when it's a surprise. So if there's mm -hmm. watching three hours of this show, and then for some reason, for like 30 seconds in an episode, all of the sudden, there's something that is creative, original, and beautiful. I'm like, I'm, I'm impressed that that kind of got into the show. And I wonder about the process of the music team or the composer fighting to put that in there and knowing that it's going to help. Um, I'm a big fan of those moments and I feel I need to comment on it. If it's going to be like a, you know, a serious drama that has a critically acclaimed cast and then there's music that fits it, that's great. I'm not usually getting distracted by it, though. I'm just kind of mm -hmm. understanding this fits the movie. This is good. This this works, but it's not a surprise to me. What other composers, film composers, would you say you, you find yourself drawn to today? I like Michael Dano a lot. He is a, a very good 
composer and he's very uh, in my opinion very subtle so i like that sensitivity he did like moneyball and and life of pi as well as some other movies yeah and yeah, where the crawdads sing as well just now that just came out i i look up to him i look up to some game composers i look i look up to uh Jessica Curry, who's a, uh, she composes music for just like independent games. I think most people don't even pay much attention to the score, which they don't, I guess yeah. is okay. But man, I, I love film music. I, I'm with you. I could, I could go on all day. I, it's something I have a great love for. Now you just completed a soundtrack project. Uh, tell us about uh, what you just finished. Sure. So I worked on a short series with the Alaskan director, Alexis Anaraksali, and uh, she's been very encouraging of like working together. I've done some music for her um, just for projects with indigenous communities up in Alaska, as well as stuff for national film festivals. She's won uh, an award out in LA with some of my music. She's just very encouraging. And this last project, uh, which I've titled for the soundtrack, Respect, um, which is the name of her uh, her series, which is being used with like the Alaska Native Heritage Center and just various groups up there as part of a series highlighting cultural just histories and uh, modern modern traditions. Feedback's been great, and uh, we released that. Yeah, and it's uh, got to work with a few drummers uh, from the communities up there who I've worked with before. John Ross is uh, the first time I worked with him, and Andrew Weaver I've worked with before. He's from a, a small village out on the islands off Alaska. I think he's in Anchorage now. That's awesome. Well, we're going to listen to a piece from that soundtrack called Meditation. What can you tell us about this piece in particular? Uh, this piece specifically, I think, is just also kind of highlighting a lot of the customs and like craft kind of traditions of modern mm -hmm. artisans and, and just uh, people in uh, these uh, communities in Alaska. And I just think this is a way to kind of let the scene breathe in a way. You'll notice mm -hmm. some of these pizzicato cello parts coming in, which were recorded to kind okay. of help move things a little bit. Awesome. All right. Well, let's listen. This is meditation. Drum edit from the album Respect by Trevor Kowalski.
this this whole album is really beautiful and i love how you have the the drum edits on there i think that's really cool do you do your own mixing as well for your projects depends on which project but on the whole yes i do i don't master i didn't well i do master occasionally um so mastering is just you know putting the final touches for anyone who doesn't know on a recording and just getting levels together any last minute changes fades and the reason i ask because that obviously in any style of music any genre of music that's really important but with the type of composing you're doing the way it's mixed is obviously going to impact what we the listener here what voice is going to be uh, elevated and accentuated or highlighted in a particular piece i was just i was curious to i'm not surprised i would think you would want to because it really would help the listener to hear it maybe the way you've intended them to yeah uh specifically when the drum recordings here uh you don't want to mess too much with the drummer's handmade drums because that's what they're playing on and it's just a matter of such a unique tone and it's very high heavy i didn't want to make that sound like a snare drum i thought that'd be disrespectful to the artist and just i thought it is the most fitting for the actual landscape of the scene at its essence music really is melody of course and everything is secondary to that how do you create melodies is it something that you hear in your head first and then bring out on your instrument or do you discover it when you sit down or is it some combination or maybe some other method like how does how does melody get birthed with you for me i've noticed that if you just find yourself humming something i think about it for a second and i'm like well i've never heard that before it's not a jingle it's not this. And yeah. then if I find myself on day two, I'm still humming the same thing. Then I'm, I actually will just record it in my phone. I have all these like embarrassing uh, voice memos on my phone. If you ever just played them out of context, <laughs> it would be ridiculous because you make up gibberish right, words right. for them or tones just so you can remember it. And mm-hmm. I have that side of things uh, where I just, if it stays and it happens, then I keep it just verbally. Uh, and then I translate that into piano. The other side of things is if you put me in a room with a piano four hours, I will just go crazy and try to just make something because I get so kind of cooped up. And a lot of my music comes from a way of like an escape. So if there's some sort of way that I can put myself in a space where I have it, you know, a a piano next to me uh, in a room, if you just give me enough time, I usually will try to find something I like. That doesn't always work. But so, yeah, either way, spontaneous. Is there a point in the creative process for you whether it's you have a kernel of an idea and you're writing, you know, maybe different movements or where maybe it's at the end of the process when you've got it recorded and mixed and all the instruments added in, is there a point in the process where you feel a sense of satisfaction? I know artists and composers, writers can often be their own worst critics, but do you, do you allow yourself to feel, you know, a sense of satisfaction and think this, this is good and feel good about it? Like, what is that like for you? Yeah, I do. I do feel satisfaction. The problem, and this is true with a lot of people that I know that are actors, especially the biggest problem is you feel great for like a day. And then the next day you're like, okay, what's next? What's next? (laughs) Kind of got to push the boulder back up the hill again. Yeah. And that just doesn't, I mean, you probably have have felt this way and some of your other guests have probably felt this way, but it's just a matter of how long you can feel good is 
I'm not complaining about it. It's just, that's just kind of like the necessary, I, I know it's not going to last. I know I'm going to feel good right. when I uploaded Saltwater Glide, that whole album. It felt good to have something that was a coherent concept album and get everything out there. And, and you know, people like some of the tracks and I was very grateful and very happy and you feel relieved and you might feel good. And then after that was up there, day two, you're just like, okay, well, what's the next album? And that's right. what I've also been up to. So you could feel a sense of satisfaction, but yeah, you, you can't stay it's there fle- too long. Fleeting. It's you, fleeting. Yeah, right. And I think that's probably true in, in most things in life. So I guess I'm not <laughs> yes. altogether surprised, but that's great that you were able to find that sense of accomplishment of feeling good about something. I remember early on when I was first getting into your work, I came across a video and I couldn't find it. I was look, looking for it last night. I think you were maybe in New Mexico or somewhere in the desert and you were writing songs that felt very cinematic and kind of landscaping, so to speak. Do you find yourself able to be someplace in a, you know, a mountain setting or, you know, going back to some of the, the beautiful area that you grew up in and are, are you able to write something that feels that way to you? Yeah. I, landscape is very much tied to everything I write. I don't think it does anyone any good to kind of live in a, uh, this little bubble space of just like listening to other people and, um, mm-hmm. listening to other musicians and try to recreate. I've always tried to get out, uh, meet people either across the country or just, uh, it, just be out in landscapes and be among other people. I've always felt like tacked onto this. A lot of my friends have always been non musicians in life. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when I can get out into a setting or a community, like I said, I was in New Mexico for a long time just to explore it as someone who grew up in the Northeast uh, to meet new people, to meet just strangers and try to understand what it's like to be be in this area and then to experience it myself and write based on region. That's a huge influence and on everything I write. The Northeast has always been very more kind of more intricate and colorful in my music, I feel like mm-hmm. the density of the forests and kind of everything and just the age of yeah. how long uh, people have been there and just the communities and history. history. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's always been very, I, I've always kind of associated that's got tighter sound, more moving parts. That's really, really interesting to me. I, I absolutely love that. So let's talk about how people can support you, hear your music. Um, I know you've got a website and I, I've seen that people can buy sheet music. So I'm going to be looking at this with my son, Luke, but you've got YouTube channels. So let's talk about those things. How can people get what you are creating? Sure. I mean, uh, so my full catalog is going to be on Apple music and Spotify, uh, followed by title Amazon music. That's going to be the best place to listen to me. YouTube is great as well. I have some stuff coming out there in the next couple months. I've kind of put my head down also working on an album. The working title is just The Traveling Glow. That's probably going to change. It's just how I think about it and the adjectives yeah. I would use. Essentially, it's kind of comes from a, a almost a road trip type of album nice. that kind of reflects on a lot of things throughout the Southwest, but it's not limited anywhere geographically. It's going to be something that everyone or, you know, everyone that likes the kind of music I've been working on can probably find something they like and relate to that's coming out in the near future. I still am in the process of recording piano for it. Another thing I'm also in the process of doing is working on getting some live shows together and we'll cool. see what that's going to look like. But I would just say 
following along on like YouTube. I post community updates. Instagram is a great place to kind of follow along on what I'm actually physically up to and what you can see me in and see me write as well as uh, Facebook. And I don't use Twitter much, but I'll usually just post the updates there as well. Um, So yeah, an album, concerts and streaming. Cool. So I will put all of those links in the show notes to your website, to your socials, to your YouTube channel, which I I love your YouTube channel. There are lots of very interesting uh, videos you post and obviously lots of your music as well. All right. So I want to end with uh, just a kind of a, a broad question for you. If you had a classroom full of young budding musicians and composers, what advice might you share with them to encourage them, to give them um, some things that would help guide their pathway? So I taught composition and as well as piano for many years. I'm pretty much writing now, but I had students of all ages. And what I would say to anyone interested in composition specifically was, I think, pretty universal advice for anyone that's interested in starting something that they would consider a hobby at first. And that would just be mm-hmm. something would, which would just be to say, start it, try doing something and getting it down, getting it recorded. Anything at all that moves you forward in some way is what you should be mm-hmm. doing. I always said to people, just record something that's 30 seconds long. Uh, singer, songwriter, composer, film composer, anything, just as an exercise, 30 seconds. You don't need to know how to use the software. You don't need to, have to use know how to use anything. You can just hum it into your phone, but it, yeah. it should be thoughtful. It should be something that you can uh, replicate, something that you can be proud of. And I always thought mm-hmm. just a 30 second exercise, hum it. If you know computers, record it. If you know the recording software, you know, if you have that, if you have the luxury of that, because a lot of people don't have uh, great software available, then right. just 30 seconds that you can share. And I always say share it with family, share it with friends, because if you aren't comfortable sharing it with anyone, that's just going to be the best way to get over kind of your fear of failure from even yeah. doing it. Share it to your, yeah. your parents, share it to your siblings, your best friend, and uh, get feedback. That's the best thing I can always say. Just get feedback take small steps. That's really, really sage. I I appreciate you sharing that. And I think too, I've heard so many musicians, artists, songwriters talking about having, you know, really good support network, which really goes to those people that you could share with and feel safe with. I think that that could be such a barrier sometimes because when you're creating something, you're really putting yourself out there and it can be difficult. I think sometimes for people to get feedback that could be very helpful though, but you've got to be willing to take that. So I really appreciate what you shared. So before we go, I have three hypothetical questions for you. Okay. If you had a chance to conduct one piece with one orchestra in one venue, because I know you've conducted, I've, I've, I've seen you conduct, what piece would you conduct? What orchestra and where would you want to do this? I do conduct. I'm not very good at it, to be clear. I'm learning. I think it would be really cool, personally, and and very fulfilling to do an arrangement of some of the songs I wrote at my youngest age. Some of the I call them songs then. I don't know why I still refer to them as songs when I, they are pieces. Right. But some, there's just a mental block there, and why I can refer <laughs> to those as songs. Then what I write now is pieces. But I would say. 
an arrangement of those pieces, in my opinion, the best orchestra in the world, the LA Phil, I think just because of their the programming and the direction and just the energy they bring. I would obviously love to say the Walt Disney Concert Hall. The more alternative thing would be Philadelphia Orchestra at Saratoga Performing Arts Center. A very much full circle thing to do because that's where I grew up going to see orchestras and having uh, the chance to actually conduct music inspired by my time at the venue would be kind of uh, surreal. And that would also be a good pick. So there's kind of, I guess, two answers. So I apologize. I lean more towards the LA Phil, but that would also be very nice. uh, Philadelphia Orchestra. I love that. I think that's a great answer. I appreciate you sharing that. Trevor, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Thank you so much for your thoughtful and great answers and for your time. Thanks, Brian. It's great. And thank you, everybody, for listening. So what everybody needs to do is look up Trevor on your streaming platform of choice. And you can do what I do is I have added all of his projects to a, a playlist. And sometimes when I'm at work, I just that's what I listen to all day. It's a great way to get familiar with his work get caught up on his back catalog and uh, you can follow him on socials and keep up with what he's doing if you enjoy trevor's work as much as i do share it with uh, your friends Uh, send a link to them or post it on your socials this is how uh, independent artists and artists in the modern age help to get the word out thank you all for listening and supporting this podcast through season one and to each of my guests i'm so grateful to you thank you very very much So keep your bags packed and we'll see you in season two on our next journey to the stage. And that's a wrap. All right. Awesome.